Welcome to Multifamily Syndication Unscripted, a show that teaches investors the truth about multifamily real estate. Your hosts, Ben Labovich, Sam Grooms, and Scott Hollister have more than 30 years of combined experience in real estate and finance. We are active multifamily syndicators and operators, providing you with detailed and cycle-appropriate content. Absolutely no fluff. So, if you want to be smarter about how and where you put your capital to work, listen up. You will learn what works in today's market conditions. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Ben Ladovich here with Scott Hollister and Sam Grooms. This is season two of Multifamily Syndication Unscripted Podcast. This is episode four, I think, right? Is that is that right? Of season two. Uh, and we are going to dig in a little bit more uh, into renovations and paint some more broad strokes, but try to zoom in a little bit and add a little bit more color to you guys. Mm-hmm. Scott's got questions. Sam and I will try to answer. Scott, take it over. Thank you, Ben, for that NPR introduction. Love it. It got your smooth time jazz voice going. <laughs> That's such an accurate description. Yeah. I love it. All right. Jumping on rehab. We, we touched it last episode. Let's dive deep into it. So what's the process for the first syndication? You know, why was it important to get someone on your team that had the construction experience for a six-figure rehab? Well, I think it was important because the lender wouldn't have lent us money without it. The investors wouldn't have invested money without it. You know, what did we know about doing $1.5 million renovation? You know, it's, that's just, it's just a simple procedural answer to the question. Uh, Mm -hmm. We, we had to have horsepower to, you know, to bring to the table and and they were it and frankly with a lot of the large you know exterior projects if we're building an office we're doing a dog park we're doing we're building a gym we're replacing the roof we're replacing you know those kind of big ticket items hvac systems wholesale hvac replacement things like that i mean we're still relying very very heavily on uh, the construction arm at the PM. The only thing we took over is the interior renovations. Um, because like Sam said, that was a separate entity. Uh, the, the guys doing the big projects, they are part of the uh, actual PM. It was the interior. And so that was a little disjointed and didn't work quite well. So that's what we took over. Um, but we don't believe in rediscovering the wheel. If something is working well, let it continue working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't do the six-figure rehabs. I think our lowest one was 1.5, 1.6, all the way up to 3 million. So we, we do pretty large, extensive rehabs um, to the exterior and interior. All right, uh, let, me, let me fix that six with a seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what have you learned about doing multiple rehabs at once? And can you share any tips that you learned from the beginning? Well, we should probably take a step back and talk about, you know, acknowledge a couple of facts. 
One is that our rehabs tend to be very different from what most other people are doing. And two, that not every building is going to lend itself to the type of rehab that we are known for and that we do. Those are, those are probably two conversations that need to be had before we even consider the specifics of the rehabs themselves, right? Uh, do you guys agree, Sam? Sure. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot more, and I mentioned this in the last uh, episode, we do a lot more extensive renovations than most people. Um, there are a couple of reasons for that. One, in terms of when the downturn comes, and I am bullish on multifamily, I'm not suggesting that the downturn is around the corner. Um, but when it comes, whenever it comes, there's always a flight to quality. There begins to be a concession and a discount race to the bottom. And what I would prefer to have on my hands in that type of environment is a little bit more quality than my competition, okay? So I, I try to position our assets to represent, to fit that bill, to be that quality plus for the asset class that we are competing in and perhaps even the asset class immediately above, okay? That's one reason we wanna do it. Another reason we wanna do it is because better quality, even in good times, attracts a better tenant. Another reason we want to do it is because the ongoing maintenance expense is able to be lowered when all of your faucets are new, all of your cabinets are new, all of your appliances are new. So it's a kind of a, a three-legged stool. Are we going to get a higher rent than our competition today? Yes. Are we better insulated or protected in terms of when the downturn happens, being able to sustain our rents, being able to not lower our rents as much, being able to not run as much a concession? You would hope so because we have a better product. And finally, is it easier to manage the asset because so much of it is now new? Yes. So that's kind of the three-legged strategy. Sam and I like to call it uh, uh, an insurance policy where, yes, we're going to get higher rents today and that's part of the deal, but that's not all of it. And maybe that's not even the most important thing. What's more important to us is if the market shifts and we are still in the deal, it'll certainly become more difficult when the rents are maybe not going up, maybe they're stagnating or maybe they're coming down. It becomes more difficult to justify and to convince investors to deploy capital. So better fix stuff now so you don't have to worry about it later, okay? So, so it's kind of an insurance policy. So we like mm -hmm. to do those 
extensive rehabs. It, it makes us stand out and it makes us feel a little bit safer with respect to the unknown of what's going to happen tomorrow. Sam, would you have something to add to this? Yeah, I think it even goes beyond, I think we talked about it in maybe the first season, but it goes beyond that. I mean, we, we have contingencies for everything. Um, so like Ben said, HVAC, roof, plumbing. I mean, we come in with $500,000 of contingencies um, just in case stuff goes on. So we, our, our rehab budget's very large and very extensive. Mm -hmm. Right. So then the next question is, well, can you do this with any building? I mean, there's a lot of buildings, there's a lot of assets, communities on the market. Does that mean that you can simply throw a dart at, you know, the loop net and whatever you hit, you just buy and do it with? And the answer to that question is, of course, no. You vast majority of things, you'll never get your money back out. Um, it's important that the marketplace is able to look at this asset when you are finished and recognize the value of what you've done. Uh, and in a lot of cases, with a lot of assets that are selling, what you would be doing is putting lipstick on a pig, meaning the marketplace knows it's a pig and the marketplace is going to know you put some lipstick on it but it's still a pig. So the question is, what does an asset look like that the marketplace is able to say, hey, this wasn't a pig to begin with. It was a, a, a diamond and rough. And now it's just plain diamond because you cleaned it up. So that's a whole another conversation and it's a very long conversation. And I don't know that we can or intend to cover all of it in this uh, in this podcast, but clearly the age, the type of mechanicals, uh, you know, clearly the location, uh, unit types, unit mix, unit sizes, amenity package that's on the property, amenity package that you can create on the property. Yeah, all of that goes into that equation. And Sam and I have very specific guidelines as to what we'll buy and what we won't buy. Right, Sam, do you wanna, you wanna add to that? I think you covered it. I think we can move on to uh, actual rehab. Sounds good to me. Yeah, so working with such a you know, large rehab and working with the lender, are they requiring you to escrow those funds for construction? We borrow 100% of the renovation budget from the lender. Um, so it basically works as a line of credit um, and it, it's, it, we get a, we use a bridge loan. Um, and mm -hmm. so they, they hold back that part of the loan. Um, and then we submit draw requests as work is completed. Um, and then we get refunded or reimbursed for those expenses. Mm -hmm. So typical to a fix and flip loan, you know, type holdback. Yeah, exactly. Um, yep. and, and when you can imagine when we're doing this on this scale, um, which I think we're probably near $10 million in renovations right now. Um, it helps to have that construction manage that 5% that we're paying. It also covers an office person at the property management company to sit there and submit all these draw requests, collect all the invoices, do all the paperwork. And, and that's a lot. That's almost a full-time job in and of itself. 
Oh, I can imagine, especially at that level. Um, No, so that's interesting. So is your lender charging you, let's just say, you know, since a bridge loan, is it interest only or is it principal interest on dispersed funds? It's interest only. Interest only. But it's 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 on undispersed uh, or on dispersed funds. Yeah. In other yes. words, what, yep. what what they do is they say, "Hey, uh, we will fund a hundred percent of your re- renovations. You have to borrow a hundred percent of these funds by such and such date. Even if you don't borrow it, you will be paying interest on it. You mm-hmm. have to start paying interest on a hundred percent of that. On after twelve months. After twelve months, yeah." But, um, yeah, that's a bridge that's loan. Great. And that's, that's a whole another conversation around bridge loans. And I know oh, yeah. people, yeah. you know, I don't know if now. We'll have a whole episode just for that sometime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not this episode, but uh, no. <laughs> interesting conversation could be had. Yeah. Well, stay on the you know topic of rehabs and let's go into, you know, scope of work and, you know, what does, you know, what is that and how does it change per property? So our scope is pretty standardized now. Um, and that's really helped us to scale. So we, we do a wood look flooring. We replace the cabinets with a white shaker. We do granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. Um, we replace all the lighting fixtures, plumbing fixtures, um, resurface the bathtub, um, it pretty much touch everything except for, uh, doors and trim. We replace the door handles, but everything else is getting touched, uh, new blinds. Um, but what we found is having the same scope, like even down to the faucet that I use across all properties has allowed us to just really scale easily instead of figuring out different scopes for each floor plan or each property, um, mm that would be a lot more time consuming. Yeah. Eliminate the redundancy. Yeah. Scott, I think it comes down to also strategy. We know who we're catering to in the locations where we buy. We know what the tenant profile is in those locations. And so we do enough to be very attractive to them. And we, we should probably define very attractive. We should define what that really looks like because it's not just about what the unit ends up looking like. It's also about the price that your unit is going to be marketed at and, and the price they can rent it at. Um, but the scope has a lot to do with what do we need to do so that people think this is a great value no more than that, no less than that. What is that, what is that balance? So for us, you know, most people are afraid of new construction. Well, Phoenix, there was a report done about six months ago, Phoenix needs 130,000 units by the year 2030 because the population growth is so extreme. That's just what they project we need. There's a shortage in housing in Phoenix. Well, with 130,000 units needed, uh, there's going to be construction. There's just no way around it. There's going to be a lot of construction. So Sam and I are not afraid of new construction. Actually, we embrace it. 
we like it because we know what the construction costs are today. So for us, it's a question of how do we bring to market a product which offers, you know, 75 to 80% of everything that new construction would, but our basis is low enough so that our rents can be discounted 30, 40% against the new construction rents, mm -hmm. which we think gives us staying power. So that's another piece that goes into that prior conversation we had um, around why we do the scope that we do. Well, you know, with 130,000 units of new construction, with the average, let's call it average rent of $1,700, we figure, you know, if we have 80% of what they offer, but we can do it for $1,200 average rent, then that's a whole lot of value to the potential tenant base. But mm -hmm. that means we have to be competitive. We have to have granite. We have to have new cabinets. We have to have forced air HVAC. We have to have nice looking units. Do we need new trim and new doors in every unit? No, we don't. Would it be nice to have them? Sure, it would be. That's another $1,000. Do we need them? No. Mm -hmm. Do you see where, where that strategically begins? Mm -hmm. You know, like the scope, okay? Um, also, do you, I hope it's coming across that in an environment where 130,000 new construction units are needed and, you know, there's probably, you know, 15 or 20,000 in the pipeline out of that 130 that's going to hit the market in the next two years. So there's just, we're continually going to run deficit, but in an environment where that's happening, do you see how, if you buy an asset that is a lipstick on a pig, how you're exposing yourself with your pants at your ankles? Because eventually that inventory of new construction is going to catch up. It's going to saturate. And then you will have an asset that cannot compete. What do you like to do and what do you like to outsource? For the interior, um, so we, we do demo ourselves, um, but then we, we outsource the drywall patching, uh, retexturing. Um, we outsource the painting, the flooring. Um, we install the cabinets and then we outsource the installation of the granite obviously um we actually get our appliance company to do the installation of the appliances and then we go in with a putback and do all of the lighting fixtures plumbing fixtures outlets um blinds etc um so really we're just handling demo cabinet installation and then the what we call the parts kit. Uh, we found a vendor that just basically delivers all of that in one giant box and they call it a parts kit. Um, and then all your fixtures and blinds. Um, we just, we were able to get stuff so cheap. We're working with uh, a flooring company that we get $1.50 per square foot installed material and installation prep work. So why even bother trying to 
figure out how to do that. Um, things like that. So we get, we get really cheap. Um, they just handle, have an insane amount of volume that doesn't make sense for us to try and be with them. Like our appliances, we buy directly from GE appliance. Um, they install, I'm, I will never be able to compete with that pricing somewhere, somewhere else. It's just let them handle it all. Well, it's great to have those prices in dollar fifty. That's amazing. Is it just? <laughs> is it just spray down flooring? Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> um, we use we use a rolled vinyl. It's like a rolled woodwork vinyl, like grayish tint. Pretty popular right now. How's it holding up? Good. Uh, so, so they, they tried, tried to sell, to sell us on the thinner stuff for at a dollar thirty-five, I think, a square foot. And we we stick with the dollar fifty. We wanted the thicker stuff that isn't going to tear and rip. Um, and it seems to be holding up fine. We, we've had a few turns at the first property, um, and I haven't heard of any issues. Good. And uh, a lot of that, I was the vinyl is very popular right now. And, and certainly it can be glued down plank vinyl, uh, like we use it in the offices, uh, at the properties and things like that. It's, it's certainly more heavy duty. However, you know, I had a portfolio in Ohio before I moved to Arizona and I still have some of it left, but I've used vinyl forever. And if you pick the right kind of vinyl, you can, uh, you know, a skillful trades guy can come in, you know, cut out a plank and put a glue down another plank and make it look like it was never there. The seam, you're never going to see it until the, unless the light hits it just the right way. And you're looking at it just the right way. So I've had, very good experience. I've had bad experiences with floating floors. I've had very good experiences for a long time, for, for 15 years now, with vinyl. You can't go with the cheaper stuff. You got to buy decent quality. But I, I could never get on board spending more money for plain plays. That's a bunch of bullshit. You can, you can cut out, like if you use, I always take either a plank look or a square tile look or something so that you can cut out a square, cut out a plank or two and replace them. You'll never be able to tell the difference ever. And so that's probably one of the ways we lower cost. But again, you have to have a certain volume to get that kind of pricing. Definitely. Now, bringing those renovations in house, you know, did anything have to change to be able to scale from, you know, you know six a month to twenty a month? Uh, quite a bit, actually. Um, so we, <clears throat> the first thing we did was we, we got the scope dialed in to be the same across all of them. So they had, for, for the most part, the big ticket items were, were the same. But like I said, like the faucets, like we made sure like the faucets and lighting fixtures, even like the paint color. I don't want to have to, every time I'm telling the painters I need them to come, I don't have to figure out, okay, what paint color did we use at this property? Um, so we just, everything the same across the board was the first thing we did. Um, we also looked at the, like, the weaknesses that the prior renovation team was having, and they were having a lot of t high turnover um, with their own employees. Um, they were paying $15 an hour guys, and it's hard to keep those guys around. So we said, I, we can't handle turnover. I want to know that I'm going to be done with this unit in less than a month. Um, and what is it going to take to get, to be able to have that and where I'm not spending all my time looking for new guys every month. Um, so we, we pay 25 to 40% more than the market, 
um, for our guys, just to have really good guys that like their job, um, that feel that they're treated right, um, and who aren't going to leave in six months to a year. Um, we, we offer health insurance to them. Um, and <clears throat> we pay up to $600 for their health insurance. Um, it's just something that our competitors aren't going to be doing. And so we can get the best talent and keep them. Um, yeah, like, and we also have got better vendors. So I know we know that they were paying $29 a square foot for countertops. What well, was a guy who just started a countertop business um, and he wasn't able to scale. So we're paying $32 a square foot for countertops, but I know it's a, it's a really big company that I worked with before multifamily and they were able to handle whatever volume we threw at them. Um, and, and so they would have units sitting for three, four weeks sometimes waiting for countertops because this guy was trying to get around. Um, and it goes back to our prior conversation. Their sole objective was keeping losses costs as low as possible and not having a big picture approach um, where how much vacancy am I absorbing because I'm just having to sit there to save $3 per square foot on the countertops. Mm. Um, so, so basically we, we standardize our scope and we were willing to pay a little bit extra for vendors and for our own in-house team, just so we can cut down a lot on that vacancy, have reliable people, um, and get in and out of the units quicker. Yeah. I love how you know where to place that money, right? It's it's yep. having that vision and knowing you're to pay for it on the back end, but might as well get it right on the front end and, and do it right the first time. So kudos exactly. to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've got a bullet point here about the handicap accessible unit. I haven't heard the story first. Uh, so Oh, we love that story. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben and I are out at, uh, at the time, our newest acquisition, we've acquired one since then. Um, and we're just sitting in the office. The, the manager was on a phone call and someone comes in and needs help. So Ben and I start talking to him. Um, as he was had a friend, a lifelong friend that was is handicapped um, and is getting kicked out of his unit apartment after 27 years. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I guess the guy's just freaking out. Um, and his first question was, do you have any accessible, accessible units? And no, sorry, we don't. Um, but then we, the more we started talking about him, I was like, well, what does it entail? And sure enough, we figured out, well, these aren't that big of modifications. We And we're handling the renovation. We can probably take this on. Um, so we have this wall with the floor plans. We go up to look at floor plans. We find this floor plan that for some reason, and we always thought it was weird, it doesn't have normal doors. It has these, these bifold doors that open up and it's like almost a 36 inch opening Well, you take out those doors. That's perfect for someone who's handicapped and you need get trying to get a wheelchair through the door. And it just had this throughout the whole unit. The, the bathroom actually happened to be really wide open and uh, open space. And we're able to just op- um, have him, he needed room to have a, a lift. I forgot what the, what the name of the lift was, Ben, you might remember. Um, but he needed room and it had plenty of clearance where he had like 45 inches of clearance to move this lift around. Um, so we actually ended up working with him and figured out what modifications he needed. And right before Christmas, we were actually able to move him in to this renovated unit um, that was basically modified just for him. So we did small things like the the vanity, instead of having a vanity cabinet, um, we looked up what 
handicap accessible unitaph or cabinets and they they basically have the countertop and then it goes back at a 45 degree angle just to cover up the plumbing but allows them to roll the wheelchair right underneath the, the sink um we there was a there's a wall to where the toilet and shower are and we cut back that wall moved an outlet over that way he can have easy access to the shower um, and toilet um we just just little modifications like this where it didn't take much and we know we're going to have him for 10 15 20 years He's, he'll never move again um unless when we if we sell the property and that person kicks him out but why would you he, he's going to pay his rent on time he's he we made all these modifications for him but they're going to last the, it'll pay for itself in the cut uh, cut down in uh, economic loss over the next year i think is what we calculated right ben yeah mm -hmm. So it, it, it made total sense. I mean, we're, we're almost break, we're breaking even on the extra, uh, the extra work we did to modify that wall, but we saved in not having cabinets, um, little things. We probably ended up spending a couple hundred dollars out of pocket, but that's going to be eaten up in less than a year of having 0% economic loss versus the 9% stabilized that we underwrote. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's beautiful. I, I love how you can marry the the doing good um, with yep. the business. You know, that's great. Well, I don't understand why you kick somebody out. I mean, okay, so the property gets bought. They're doing wholesale renovations. If you are in the middle of doing your renovations anyhow, it's going to cost you 500 bucks to make certain adjustments. And this guy's been at the property for 27 years. He's going to stay for 27 more if you give him a chance. Why, why would you not? I don't understand how people think sometimes. I don't get it. Yeah, I think they just probably see that gross rent. It's like the other things, right? It's like, where do you want to pay for something? Do you want to pay for it on the back end, the front end, or do you understand? Well, he's you know, paying market rent. Yeah. He's, you know, he moved. Unit. This is a renovated unit. We charge them exactly what everybody else is getting charged. Charge a market rent. So I, I literally don't understand the logic behind not working with this guy or anybody else like him. It, it just makes no sense to me. Well, and so they, they wanted to get into his unit because they're renovating it. And they just needed him out. They wanted him out. Nobody bothered to look, well, and think outside of their very rigid business plan. Well, can we make a little bit of modifications and have him stay in a, a renovated unit instead of just kicking him out? And is he going to be a better tenant than 50% of the other tenants we're going to have in here? So no, nobody bothered to just sit there and actually think about it. Um, and I'm not saying if, if Ben and I had him in the office today or that day, that might not have even happened in our property and probably wouldn't have. Um, I, I doubt we would have got a call saying, Hey, can we make some modifications? Usually owners just say no. And so managers aren't going to bother to ask. Hey, Sam, do you remember what his rent, like what we charged him for that unit? I want to say it's around nine fifty to a thousand. No, it's 1050 a month. Okay. 1050 a month. So on a stabilized basis, we assume 9% economic loss on a stabilized basis. And that includes your physical vacancy, your concessions, your bad debt, all of that stuff, okay? 
let's say Ben and Sam are some kind of genius operators and they are able to operate at 7% economic loss, which is never gonna happen, but let's just say for the, for the sake of the argument. So annually speaking, 7% economic loss of uh, 10.50 rent, okay? It's almost $900. $73 per month. Per month. Okay. okay. So you multiply that by 12 and even at 7% economic loss, even at 5% economic loss, we would be getting paid back in a year. We will be getting paid back in a year. Everything we spent on making the adjustments to that unit. Understand that after we get paid back, the fact that we can legitimately expect this guy to stay in this unit for a number of years means that we're generating a profit margin that we wouldn't otherwise have on our underwriting for this unit, okay? So like in what universe does this not make business sense? But we can talk about it as a human thing at the human level, but at what universe does it not make sense as a business? proposition. Yep. And, and we decided to do it on the spot before even actually looking at those numbers and thinking through that um, just at, on the human level. But then, like Ben said, from the business, when we sat there and ran the numbers, it's like, why wouldn't we have done that? Mm. Well, and I, I have to, you know, I, I've been, I've been, I, I, I've been a landlord since 2006. And I know that having a long-term tenant is worth their weight in gold. So I knew right away, like on day one, I was interested because anytime you can combine doing something good with doing something wise with business, that's just a winner. Every time, every time you touch something where you can combine the both, it's a winner. You know, you get more money and you feel better about doing something, doing something for somebody, you know? So that was evident that was, it was one of these things. Now I, obviously didn't sit there and try to calculate economic loss and figure it out. And we didn't know upfront how much it was going to cost to make the adjustments, but it couldn't have been that much. That's the point. We're, we're already in the unit. We're already demoing. We're already remodeling. It couldn't be that much. So it was a no brainer. And it's one of those things you love about this business because there's a lot of things to not like about this business. But this is an example of one of those things you love about this business. That's great. Well, Ben, you want to take us out of this episode? Seems like a great place to wrap up. Cool. Well, guys, this is uh, episode four. This was episode four, multifamily syndication unscripted show. Uh, season two, we are, uh, discussing or breaking down or boiling down our experiences last year, acquiring $50 million of real estate, raising $20 million of equity. Um, what does that look like? What's entailed? What are we discussing in the next episode, guys? Investor relations. Investor relations. So that should be fun. Looking forward to speaking to you in the next one. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on NPR Radio. <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Multifamily Syndication Unscripted with your hosts, Ben, Sam, and Scott. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Multifamily Syndication Unscripted. What was, uh, do you remember what his rent was? With us? Ben, with us? He's just taking a really long pause. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was, it was a tough question. Yeah. <laughs> ben, I didn't mean to scare you off. Hey, I just got cut off for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's been throughout the episode. <laughs> really? Yeah. This He's been talking the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's like, I thought I was answering all the questions. <laughs> <laughs>